hour number three of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together, we talk about the news of the week, the events of our sometimes bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion as we broadcast across this formerly great nation of ours to 20 different radio stations. You can check them all out at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. Many of those stations were chosen uh, because they're in markets that I have a connection to. Uh, Philadelphia was my original hometown, so we're on in Philadelphia. Uh, We're also on in Los Angeles, where Leah Brandon and I met at KFI in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, although we're not on KFI, which is not surprising given the way that I left KFI. <laughs> given um, the way that I left, too. Right. So, so yeah, we're not going to be on KFI. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, if Trump is president, I guess anything is possible, but uh, not, not likely. Um, <laughs> but one of the one of the radio stations that we are on, shockingly, is another station that fired me, WHAS <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky. Where I well, want to be sent on assignment the first Saturday in May, but go ahead. There you go. The Kentucky Derby is the first mm-hmm. Saturday in May. And uh, Lee is a huge horse person. And mm-hmm. uh, over the last few weeks, there has been a, uh, a, a growing scandal involving the basketball program at the University of Louisville, which fascinates me, not just because I spent uh, a little bit more than a year in Louisville as a radio and TV host and uh, was infamous, infamously fired there and came back and won a very, very high profile defamation suit unanim- <laughs> unanimously and Still very good friends with the congressman, uh, Democrat John Yarmouth in Louisville. Uh, I'm fascinated. That's one reason why, but also because there are so many uh, similarities and dissimilarities with the so-called Penn State sex scandal, which I have been unfortunately embroiled in far more than I ever dreamed possible, or even my worst nightmare, for the past uh, three-plus years, and have concluded that almost everything we were told about that scandal is not true. Uh, you can find out more about that at my website, www.framingpaterno. That's framingpaterno.com. Uh, the framing is not literal. It's figurative. It's not a conspiracy theory. In fact, uh, no. I'm an anti-conspiracy person, which is part of why I have concluded what I have. And I'm I'm not, by the way, just a little suspicious of the mainstream news media narrative in that case. I know it's false. I, I'm positive of it. I would bet my daughter's life on it. Uh, People be- are freaking out if they're driving around listening to you say this right now. I know, but just go. I, I happen to know more about the case than the people who were involved in it. Um, and, in fact, I'll be I'm heading, although I, 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 I'm not 100% sure, but my current plan is to head on a red eye uh, this week uh, for a hearing in the uh, in the case. Um, on Thursday in uh, just outside of State College, Pennsylvania. So um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that next week. But anyway, here's the the situation in Louisville. Uh, And this broke open big time this week because a book was published that was by a a woman who acknowledges to have been a whore and a a pimp. And not, by the way, just a a whore and a pimp, a, a woman who pimped out her own daughters. There you go. And the the essence of the allegations are as follows. Um, the, the Reader's Digest version is this, that a graduate assistant at the University of Louisville arranged for and paid for whores to do strip teases and have sex with potential recruits for the basketball program of the University of Louisville. And by the way, not just the recruits themselves. Also, their parents and guardians. Also, That's 
insane. Well, it also makes a lot of sense. makes a hell of a lot more sense than the allegations in the Penn State case. Because if you want people to go to your school, you know, the parent of the guardian probably has some influence. And if they're male, that might have an impact on which direction they push the potential recruit. But anyway, the, the allegation uh, is in this book. And um, there, one of the elements of the story that fascinates me, that obviously this would be a gross a uh, violation of NCAA rules. It would be a gross violation of numerous laws. It would be highly unethical. And by the way, this didn't just happen once or twice, according to the book. It apparently happened about 20-so times, and most of the times occurred in in a place called Minority Hall at the University of Louisville, which is named for the brother-in-law of the head basketball coach at University of Louisville, the legendary Rick Patino, who whose brother-in-law, Billy Minardi, died in 9-11. Um, mm. So, uh, so if, if all this is true, and ESPN and ABC certainly seem to think that it's true, and, and I'm fascinated by the media aspect of this thing, Leah, because this book was not published by a major publisher. And if ABC and ESPN had wanted to ignore this, they easily they could have easily could have ignored it. I mean, I've you know they've ignored me on the Penn State thing because I even though I've, even when I was on the Today Show I've been on the Today yeah. Show twice. They ESPN completely ignored me because it didn't fit their narrative and it wasn't their story. So they got so they got nothing out of it. And that's the way these people look at these things. Is there anything in it for us? And ABC, Good Morning America. ESPN and even The View. That's how ABC focused this story was. Because this those... is written by some little floozy sleaze bag. Right. We have no no proof that well, any of it's true. The only proof there are some text messages, which and you know, it, it, according to ESPN, the the texts and the receipts. I mean, there's so there is some proof that's that some of this happened. There's also basically a journal that the the head whore. Uh, pimp wrote, which she has, could write anything she wanted. I understand. Look, I get your after the Penn State thing. I get your yeah. skepticism. Okay, she's uh, a, just look an opportunist. Well, I, I I'm amazed that the news media gave this as much credibility as they did when they easily could have ignored it. They decided for some reason not to ignore it, and it and it blew up big this week. But I'm also very fascinated in in how it is that I predicted very early on and did so bizarrely on WHAS, the station that fired me in an interview with Terry Miners, a guy who I believe betrayed me. Uh, he and I hated each other's guts for years, but now we're, you know, we're at least uh, civil to each other. And I predicted on that radio station early this week, uh, almost as soon as this story broke, that Rick Pitino, unlike Joe Paterno, was going to survive this. And when we come back, I'm going to explain why I believe that Rick Pitino is going to survive this, at least in the short run, because it's I think it tells you an awful lot about what makes the news media tick and how these stories evolve. And it has nothing to do with the truth or what's right or wrong. It's all about what benefits the news media and what public perception is. And I'll explain that when we come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And uh, we're talking about the um, story that exploded in the, uh, at least in the ABC-related media on Good Morning America, ESPN, at least parts of ESPN, and The View this week, which was a uh, very minor publication of a book mm-hmm. with explosive allegations against the University of Louisville basketball program involving a graduate assistant setting up sex for recruits and their parents and guardians. And, you know, of course, the big the big question, Mark, assuming that any of this is true, and I, Lee, I, you seem highly skeptical, and I'm open yeah. to skepticism. I believe that um, the essence of the allegations are true, and here's why. One, the woman at the center of it, even though she's a whore, she seemed awfully credible to me. And there is some substantiation uh, in the ter- in, in terms of actual records, cell phones, and what have you, uh, and because the story makes some sense, but also because the person at the center of it, the graduate assistant, has not done an interview yet. And to me, if this was complete balderdash, that person would have been front and center uh, on Sports Center or Good Morning America with a rebuttal. They have quit their job or been fired, whatever you want to call no, it. No, 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 no. They've been put on paid administrative leave no, 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 because no, no. of this, no, right? No, no, no. Well, that was the original. Now he's gone. He's quit. So he, he's he's gone from the job in Kansas City at a very small school, which, by the way, he was working for another former Louisville person, another former Rick Pitino assistant, uh, you know, basically a farm program uh, for for University of Louisville. And see, to me, one of the most, if true, maybe the most damaging for Rick Pitino allegation is that this graduate assistant was still, for lack of a better term, pimping for Louisville, Louisville recruits after he left Louisville and went to this school in Kansas City. Now, to me, it's really hard to come up with an explanation for, if that's true, how that happens without Rick Pitino or someone very high up in the University of Louisville basketball, basketball program knowing about this. And, and in keeping with that, see, I'm always, Leah, looking at, I'm looking for paths. I'm looking for narratives that make sense in their totality. And for the University of Louisville, at the highest levels, whether that's Rick Pitino or someone very, very close to him, to not have some knowledge of what's going on, this would have to be a completely rogue operation by a graduate assistant. Now, for that to happen, okay, first of all, he needs money because he's got no money. He's a graduate assistant. He's a young kid. He's got no money. All right, maybe that comes from a booster. That's certainly possible. But if you're that graduate assistant on the most rogue operation in the history of of certainly the University of Louisville basketball program, do you decide needlessly to have this pseudo strip club and and whorehouse be held at, at the at the um, at the avenue that's named the 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 the, uh, the, the dorm that is named for the dead brother-in-law of the head basketball coach? Okay. Excuse me. Uh, Let me just say one thing about this. I am so surprised that anyone would think that basketball recruits need to have someone pay 
for I, a woman. But, but, but they weren't. But no, they, I don't even know that the recruits were even fully aware that someone else was paying for them. And by the way, these were very small amounts of money. I mean, it's three, four, five hundred dollars for. Of course, see, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I believe that Patino was going to survive this, and I and I said this earlier this week in Louisville on, on the station where we're, we're broadcast there, WHAS, the station that fired me uh, 11 years ago, is because this story isn't a ratings winner for the news media. And one of the reasons why it's not a ratings winner, you would think it's a salacious story, right? Young kids having sex, parties, strip clubs. That sounds like a ratings winner. Ex- I thought it was called college. Well, <laughs> that's true, too. But here... There's the payment problem there, Leah, and the fact that these were recruits. But I get what you're saying. Here's why it's not a ratings winner, and this is where this is what nobody will have the balls except John Ziegler to say, or the stupidity. It's a very close call there. Uh, but but here's what I will say, which is the truth that no one else will. The media will not get ratings from this story and has already tired of it because they don't get the ratings because none of the girls are good looking. And because everybody in the story is black. That's why. They, they, they have no appetite for making a, a group of, of people that are exclusively black. I mean, every the graduate assistant, the whore, right. her daughter, all the other women, all the other recruits, they're all black people. So immediately, that gives the news media... Don't want it to look corrupt, no, yeah. No, they, mm-hmm. they, they give them hives. They get the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. They, get, they have no appetite for that. And these, these are scummy whores, all right? These are $200 whores. These are not... I don't know how much one normally is. Well... Yeah. <laughs> It's been a long time since I was even thinking about that, Lee. I'm basically dead. I'm married. So the the reality is, the reality is that if there was even you know Tiger Woods got a lot of crap because his for lack of a better term whores weren't particularly good looking. They were True. hot. As, they were hot as hell in comparison to the women in this story. All right. I mean, there's no Rachel Yucatel. If there was a Rachel Yucatel who was pretty hot, um, okay. at least a nine. If there was a Rachel Yucatel in this story then I think Rick Pitino's in trouble because now there's ratings. She's white. And the media wants to talk to her. Right, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, she's a heck of a lot more interesting than than what they got in this story. So the ratings are the key to everything. Is this a story that's going to continue to give? Now, it's interesting. There's two ways it can give. It can give in substance, which is really not their first choice because substance doesn't mean that much to the media or it can give in ratings. And if it gives in ratings, they'll damn right. Well, find the substance. Oh, <laughs> that's they, true. They, if that's true. If the ratings are there. They'll find a way to justify keeping to talk about it. That's so true. So, but because there's no hottie and because they're all black and because of one more reason, which I'll get to when we come back, which goes to political correctness, mm-hmm. um, I think Rick Pitino's in the clear, and at least in the short run, unlike what happened to Joe Paterno, which was a horrific railroading. We'll do that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back 
This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com where you can check out each of the 20 stations nationwide on which this program is broadcast each and every uh, Sunday evening. Finishing up with some more thoughts on the scandal that was big in the news media for two or three days this week, but has already, in my opinion, very much started to fizzle out, and that is the University of Louisville basketball sex scandal. It has been my prediction, at least in the short run, I want to emphasize the short run because, Leah, uh, there could be you know something major that comes out. The graduate assistant may rat out Rick Pitino, which would obviously change everything. But barring some sort of major development, in the short run, Rick Pitino is going to survive this uh, for a number of reasons, one of which, the most cynical of which is that um, the news media has no interest in this story because there's no ratings, because there's no hottie, and there's too many black people. Um, you won't hear that anywhere else, but that's the truth. And, um, you know, and also another interesting media angle on this, Leah, that wouldn't be obvious to most people this goes back to my my statement about it doesn't matter what gets reported now. It's what gets repeated. Mm-hmm. And what I think we're finding now is that in order for a firestorm to completely envelop somebody of great power, and Rick Pitino is clearly a guy in, in Louisville who has great power, for that to happen, you need, unless there's a mea culpa or, you know, like at Penn State, they all curl into the fetal position in two days and go, oh, we, we did it. We, even though we don't know what happened, we did it. We did it. <laughs> um, and there's a comp- Or unless it was about little boys. Well, now, if that was going on, it would be a whole different story. I agree that there's a difference in the level of outrage, but, of course, part of the problem in Penn State was that no one understood what the facts were at the time. But my point is in much larger scope, in the broader perspective, is that if there's not a, a surrender, then the only way that the news media can pull off, let's say, a firing of a legend like Rick Pitino is if they all work in unison. They can't be on their own and as powerful as Good Morning America and elements of ESPN. And by the way, it wasn't all ESPN. It's just parts of ESPN. And, uh, you know, the view got in on it uh, later in the week. And the, the cacklers. Local, right. But the point the point here is that we're now living in a world where that's not enough. Like, for instance, Sports Illustrated eviscerated Oklahoma State. Uh, I guess it was last year. They're, they're mostly their football program. And no one cared. Because right. because it was Sports Illustrated used to have the power to do that and to make I mean, who's and, paying attention to that? Uh, nobody anymore. So if the rest <laughs> of the, so if the rest of the news media doesn't see something in it for them, then and and there's no surrender, and the NCAA they take for flipping ever, then nothing's going to happen. Right. Um, and what happens here is because ABC owns the story and because there's no ratings in it for anybody else, for the reasons I've already mentioned, the rest of the media sits on their hands and there's not enough pressure to create, in this case, let's say the firing of Rick Patino. Now, interestingly, something else happened which greatly dissipated the media attention on this story, which I found to be very interesting and so keeping in the politically correct era in which we now live. Muhammad Ali, who is from Louisville, but did not go to the University of Louisville, 
And while he has a, a museum there, a museum which, by the way, in my very first week on the air in Louisville, I came out against. Oh, you did? Brilliant. Why? My first, my first major target. Why would you be against a Muhammad Ali museum? Because he's a fraud. He's a complete and total fraud. He's un-American. He told he told Playboy magazine that all white people are the devil. He <laughs> he, he um you know he evaded the draft. Yeah, uh, but he's he, sick, you know. Uh, but see, he's a god to the to the media because he was the greatest. He had the charisma. Uh, right. You know, he was right on Vietnam in their minds. Uh, he so therefore you know he didn't really. Um, dodge the draft, uh, you know that he he's a great, and of course now that he's sick, that gives him an extra layer of PC protection. Oh, by the way, the other thing which always got me got me upset about Muhammad Ali when asked about 9/11, he put his shaking hand over his mouth as if to say he's afraid oh, to say. Oh, that's right. He's afraid mm-hmm. to say what he really thinks. Because isn't he Muslim or yeah, something? Yeah, well, Muhammad Ali, Leah. Uh, but I mean, you can do that, but you don't really practice. Okay, well, the point is, fad. he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. He was right. Cassius Clay. So my point, so anyway, without getting bogged down, Muhammad Ali on Friday tweets, which he doesn't do very often, tweets support for the Louisville basketball program and Rick Pitino. Huh? And, it, and it's as if the media decides, oh, Wow. It's okay then. Oh, all right. We didn't realize that uh, they've been blessed by Muhammad <laughs> Ali. As if Muhammad Ali has a flipping clue about the facts of the story. He Again, right. he's not. A, but you know what's interesting? And this goes to my contrarian nature and also my experience in cases like this, where what I have found is almost everything that happens is misinterpreted 180 degrees. And often things that seem or get perceived as signs of innocence, or actually signs of guilt. And here's what I mean by this, Leah. Tell me what you think of this. I actually think Muhammad Ali tweeting support for Patino is maybe the strongest indication Patino's guilty. Because there's only one way Muhammad Ali does that. He's got Parkinson's, for heaven's sakes. But he's not sitting at home going, you know, I need to tweet... Of support for Rick Petito and the University of Louisville in the middle of this firestorm. The only way that happens is if Rick asks Muhammad Ali to do that. And the only reason why Rick would do that is if he knows he's in big trouble. Because if he's not in big trouble, if he didn't know anything and he's got nothing to worry about, he doesn't need Muhammad Ali to, su- to tweet support. <laughs> You see what I I'm think saying? I think Muhammad Ali's kid got a hold of it and tweeted it out. Now that's another possible. That is also possible. Somebody who's not Muhammad Ali, with it, you know. And by the way, that shows just how absurd it is that major news stories occur because of famous people tweeting something. Tweeting. 140 characters or less, and we don't even know for sure it's them. But exactly. It, but it's a major news story, and in, in one in which this case, I think it actually impacts the media. It's almost as if, oh, okay, we've been told not to go there. This is one of those crimes better left unsolved, as they might say in Spinal Tap, uh, because Muhammad Ali has told us so. All right. um, Yes. Now, so we'll see. My prediction again, for the record, Rick Pitino Mm -hmm. uh, will coach out this year, barring 
some sort of major development uh, going forward, and the news media will just say, ah, you know what, never mind. Um, until the NCAA, eight years from now, says, oh, by the way, uh, that national championship never really happened. That's, <laughs> that's what, right. That, that's, that's They'll wait till they win big, and right. then they can take them down. All right. Now, when, well, they won the national championship a couple years ago, so that's what, I'm, you know, understandably so, people in Louisville are worried about because some of these players were involved in that. Um, so long-term, you know... Long term, if I was in the University of Louisville, or you know, I might I might hang on tight to those uh, national championship T-shirts because that might be the only thing you have left uh, by the time it's all said and done. Um, but who knows? We'll, we still need to find out what the facts are because, as I found out in Penn State, what we were told initially is almost always false, and that's by the way true in almost every story, but especially and, one uh, where there's a huge firestorm. And right. does football count more than basketball? Not in Louisville. No, 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 no. Basketball is it. Uh, no. I mean, NCAA. Uh, well, you know, that's an interesting point because the NCAA has far more control over basketball because that's where they get their money from than football. So they actually have an, a weird incentive not to uh, to knock out basket, big-time basketball programs. You know, University of North Carolina got a pass because they're the University of North Carolina. They're a huge moneymaker for the NCAA because they're one of the top 10 basketball programs of all time. You could mm-hmm. argue the University of Louisville, as long as Rick Pitino is there, is in that category. So they're mm-hmm. a moneymaker for the NCAA. Um, so my guess is the NCAA is going to take a long time on this by the way <laughs> by the way by the way interestingly according to the whore who wrote the book she originally yes. called the ncaa to tell them about this story they hung up on her because <laughs> it sounded so outrageous i well you know based upon the rules as we now know them in the pc liberal media world that sounds like racism to me doesn't it a black <laughs> a black female whore calls you with a crazy story of a scandal at university of louisville and you hang up you on hang her up. racists racists all right uh when we come back um i gotta i gotta mention uh, this um f- speaking of colleges there's a, just a scary free speech survey of uh, students at major colleges and then uh, I want to talk about Halloween as uh, I get ready for the uh, this coming week as the father of a three-year-old. Uh, I got to tell you about uh, my perspective on that when we come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the final segment of this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. She broadcasts from Alabama where they care about their guns, Jesus, and college football. I broadcast from just north of Los Angeles where people barely even care about themselves. Uh, One thing I care deeply about, as you may notice from the name of the company that that this um, show is um, under, Free Speech Broadcasting, I care deeply about free speech. I wrote a book called The Death of Free Speech back in 2005, which frankly was remarkably prescient, except for the fact that I didn't realize that we were going to lose our free speech rights as quickly as we have in the last 10 years. And, and as much as we have. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's 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 one of the most underreported stories um, in, in the country. And one of the things I write about in uh, The Death of Free Speech, which I'm sure you can still find on Amazon for probably a buck or something uh is that um that 
young people who used to be a strength of free speech um, have no clue, not, 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 not remotely a clue about what makes free speech important, why it needs to be defended, what the definition of it is, what the basis of it is. Not, and, and this week there was a remarkable survey of 800 students at a variety of colleges across the country. And get this, Leah, by a margin of 51 to 36 percent, college students favor their school having speech codes to regulate speech for students and faculty. Yep. 51 percent of college students want speech codes to regulate speech for themselves and and the faculty. How many of those are from America? That's a very good question. Yeah, you know, I'm sure a a good portion of these 800 are not from America. But you know what, frankly, Leah, my guess is it wouldn't make that big of a difference because in my experience uh, with mostly high school kids, and I I interview uh, for my university, Georgetown University, my alma mater in D.C., um, you know, uh, potential applicants. My, my interaction, which has been fairly extensive for someone who's 48 years old with teenagers over right. the last few years, is that they don't give a damn about free speech and that they have been completely brainwashed into this notion that it is perfectly appropriate to punish people for things that they say. Let me go wow. further with this. Uh, 63% of college students surveyed favor requiring professors to employ trigger warnings to alert students to material that might be discomforting. Oh, good God! What a bunch of wussies. Totally. 63% want to be warned that something that they're about to hear might be discomforting. One third of college students could not identify the First Amendment as part of the Constitution that dealt with free speech. One third college students... That's a little low, actually, I would think. No, but, but Leah, the question They're is... They're not teaching them anymore. Well, it's not a tough question. Which is the part of the Constitution that deals with free speech? It's the first flippin' amendment. Who um, teaches about the Constitution anymore, though? Thir- you would just... I mean, come on. By accident, you might get that right. Uh, you know, your, your guess <laughs> is probably going to be the First Amendment. 35% <laughs> said that the First Amendment... This is This is more troubling. 35%, over a third, say that the First Amendment does not protect hate speech. <laughs> now, by the way, Chris Cuomo of CNN tweeted that a, a little while ago, a few months ago, that the First Amendment does not protect hate speech. And as you well know, Leah, I have predicted for years yeah. this was going to be the death of free speech. They were going to start with hate crimes, yep. which is a thought crime, then then transfer hate crimes to hate speech and everyone would go oh okay well we we don't we we got hate crimes so hate speech that sounds okay and then once they got hate speech it's over because because who's determining what's hate liberals are determining what's hate that's right and liberals don't want to have an argument because they can't win on the facts they can't win on the logic so they're going to shut you up by saying what, what you believe is hatred therefore inherently inappropriate even in a college. Confederate flag. Exactly. Hate speech. Hate exactly. speech. Tear it down. Finally, uh, 30% of self-identified liberal students say that the First Amendment is outdated. Outdated. And those are, and it's important to point out, these are 
allegedly educated kids at places which used to be the bastion of free speech. In yeah. the 60s, that's where free speech lived and grew. I mean, you you know, it was sacred to be able to say whatever you wanted to say. Yep. Uh, and and there are no I could I could sit here for hours. We only have a couple minutes left in the show, giving you example after example of specific situations where universities don't believe it anymore. Don't and unless it's liberal, liberal, <laughs> liberal doctrine. That's free speech. If it's not fitting with the liberal doctrine, it's inherently inappropriate and forbidden, and and borderline illegal. In fact, I've had situations where kids thought. That they're saying certain things was in fact illegal. Well, uh, I mean, look at what they want to do with global warming deniers. Well, that's what it Maybe. is. Maybe. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, that is exactly what it is. And it, global warming denial is is the perfect example of this. They can't battle on facts and logic, so they make it inappropriate, borderline illegal for you to say it. Now, you, yeah. you, you, you're going to destroy your career for sure, and yep. maybe we might even put you in jail mm-hmm. um, if you say something because we can't beat you on the facts or on the logic. All right, uh, real quick, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this next Sunday because it's the day after Halloween. Um, I've never been much of a Halloween guy. I actually think, by the way, speaking of PC, I think Halloween is in big trouble long term. Um, in fact, uh, I know a teacher at a mostly Hispanic school just outside of Los Angeles that had a happy Halloween, a small happy Halloween sign taken down uh, this week because it might be offensive to Hispanics who apparently aren't big into Halloween. Um, you know, yeah, well, it is all about Hispanics now, so it, exactly. get with the program. But anyway, uh, I've never been a huge Halloween guy, but this Halloween is going to be different for me. Um, I got a three-year-old daughter, and by the way, I don't think people fully understand, if you, if you're, even those who have kids, how big of a deal this Halloween is. It's a Saturday. Yeah. It's daylight savings day, so it's an hour longer. There's almost like a three-quarter moon. I mean, th- in my daughter's lifetime, I've already figured this out. In her Halloween career, there's only going to be one other Halloween that's under remotely these circumstances when she's eight. So that's a big deal, but the bigger deal is this. As pessimistic as I am about the future of this country, I'm even more pessimistic about the future of my life and my daughter ever having a moment uh, where she's going to be able to look back and remember proudly uh, her dad. Uh, And for the last year, (laughs) for the last year, for the last year, this is amazing for a three-year-old, my daughter for the last year has stuck by what she wanted to be for Halloween. Okay. She's going to be Cinderella. I love it. She's going to be Cinderella. She she decided this almost the day after last Halloween, which is pretty amazing. I'm kind of proud of her for for having that kind of stick-to-itiveness. I mean, she she made her decision, and she stuck with it. Again, she's only, you know, not even three and a half. So she's going to be Cinderella. My wife is going to be the good fairy. And at my daughter's demand, I'm going to be Prince Charming. Oh, that's awesome. You can't pull that off. I can't pull it off? <laughs> this is the only shot I have to to make her have any memory, potentially, at least a photograph of, I love of, it. of her being proud of her dad. So oh, I, it's going to be fun. So I've got to pull off Prince Charming 
this Saturday because she's going to be a spectacular uh, Cinderella. Oh, but, yeah, by the way, for don't, sure. No, no, no one tell my wife that I just broadcast across the country that that's what uh, my daughter's going to be because that's a top secret uh, subject. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking this very, very seriously. I, I, this is a I big mean, what deal. are you wearing? Where are you getting oh, the outfit? Oh, what are you I, doing? I got a full costume. You're, you're going to love the pictures. <laughs> you are going to love the Facebook photos. Uh, next. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, I can't we'll, wait. We'll talk about it next Sunday. Until then, Leah, you have a great week. You too. Uh, happy Halloween, everybody. Podcast at freespeechbroadcasting.com tomorrow. So long. My name's John Ziegler.